we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Greetings and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And today we're going to be covering a topic that a lot of you are probably just going to skip over today because you thought <laughs> it sounded boring. <laughs> <clears throat> well, guess what? What? It's not. Hell yeah. It's really not. You know, I've been playing a lot of Crusader Kings 3. So I'm at the point where 1500 really doesn't feel like that long ago to me. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, I keep getting called to the past. We uh we visited the 1600s with our Jane Led series. Yeah, well, we've been we've been around. We've been around. We went back to the 13th century for Hildegard. Yeah, I mean we were in the 1500s for fucking uh, little Jeffrey. Yep, and we're yeah. back. Hell yeah. We are back in the 1500s to examine the reign of Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II. The Holy Roman Emperor. I know what a title. Have you ever wondered what it's like to stand at the crossroads of greatness and failure? Magic no. and reality. No. Vision and delusion. That's me every day. Yeah, you don't have to wonder. I don't have to there. wonder shit. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to set the scene. We are in 16th century Prague, where famous artists, alchemists, and astronomers were all gathering together in the court of Rudolf II. It was a place where creativity knew no bounds. They're making crazy art. Cups fashioned from rhinoceros horns and intestinal tumors said to what? be able to uh, transmute poison. What? They were making paintings of unicorns. It was awesome. All sorts of crazy shit. Oh, they're just losing their minds. <laughs> no, it was a golden age of exploration. Sure. Yeah, that's what I said. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But our famed patron of the arts, Rudolf the Visionary, was also Rudolf the Ineffectual. Because his obsession with art and the occult left him disconnected from the political upheavals of his time. Yeah. Yeah. While creativity flourished within his court, religious conflicts were simult simultaneously tearing the empire apart beyond the palace walls. His indecision and detachment led to political decay, a crumbling empire losing its grip on power and prestige. So why should you care about this crazy old emperor? As a cautionary tale uh, to let you know that wizards and psychedelic warriors um, aren't good at running things. It's true. <laughs> yes. Here's a man, a ruler, whose love for the mystical became either his triumph or his downfall, depending on who you ask. His story to me is a reflection of the timeless struggle between passion and duty, between following your dreams and having to stay grounded in reality. It's a snapshot of Europe on the brink of transformation, caught between the glow of the Renaissance and the dark clouds of the Thirty Years' War. Mm. So to me, Rudolph II's reign is a display of the best and worst of human nature, a lesson in the balance between vision and responsibility, and a story that speaks to the artist, the dreamer, the historian, and the realist in all of us, or at least in me. So with that, Word. <laughs> let's pull our tarot card. Or at least in me. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What do you got? We have the Eight of Pentacles. Oh. We, I don't, have we ever seen her? Yes. Yep. We have. Is that, is that the Eight or the Nine? It's Nine, dog. I can't count. 
(laughs) (laughs) You're right. That is nine. Yeah. The nine of pentacles. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm... My brain's half here today. I saw Willie Nelson last night, and my brain feels <laughs> like it's also 90 years old. <laughs> Nine of Pentacles, also called Gain, is Venus in Virgo. This lady knows how to keep her checkbook in order. Yeah, it's the um, the Nine of Pentacles is, you know, you sewed in Asaya. It's the, the sphere of that which is manifesting into... Malkuth, the final manifestation in Asaya, uh, the world of Earth. The the gain, the luck implicit in the Nine of, of Pentacles is like the luck and the joy that comes from having your checkbook balanced. Yeah. The, the good being luck. being independent. Attendant. Yes, being independently. She's an independent woman. She is, though. Independently happy in your garden. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the attendant, the the luck and good fortune that's creating your own luck, essentially, by taking care of your responsibilities and finding joy in having your checkbook balanced is what I would say about the Nine of Pentacles. Yeah. Yeah. Did Rudolph have his checkbook balanced? Like, money was no object. Yeah, yeah. It was his mind. Ah. That was the problem. Oh, no. Right? (laughs) Man. All right. Let's go back in time. All right. Okay. We're in the late 16th century. (laughs) This is the time when Rudolph II ascended to the throne. And it's a time of huge shifts in Europe. The Holy Roman Empire, of which Rudy would become the figurehead, was a sprawling entity made up of a bunch of semi-autonomous states, duchies, regions, and as Voltaire famously quipped, the empire was neither holy, nor Roman, nor much of an empire, really. Yeah, yeah, It was was just like 300 little territories all merged together. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting, like, geopolitical, geographical fucking thing that the the holy roman empire was not roman it was in right fucking germany you know modern day germany and central europe and it was just it was like as fucking medieval ass shit as you can imagine oh yeah it's like that's that medieval shit yeah and the emperor uh his power basically more symbolic yeah 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 than real yeah so you got the holy roman empire like we said not really holy or roman or an empire right It's got a bunch of religious conflict going on in it. The divide between Catholics and Lutherans, the Protestant Reformation's on the way. You know, you got the Thirty Years' War that's going to take place nine years after Rudolph's death. So there's a Mm. whole lot of religious shit going on. Yep. Now, Rudolph II's family connections tie him to Spain's Habsburg dynasty, which was then at its zenith of colonial exploits, boasting a mighty navy. Uh, Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, (laughs) this... The Habsburgs of Spain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's... it's uh <laughs> The big boys. Well, that's the least Spanish name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, Habsburg is not a very Spanish name. It's really not. But that is part of where Rudolph II's family came from. Okay. Now, at the time, the Spanish Habsburgs, they were at the their zenith of colonial exploitation. 
boasting a huge navy. The Armada. Yes. However, it was a navy soon to be humbled by England. Yeah. An yeah, ascendant yeah, yeah. naval power and a stronghold of Protestantism under Queen Elizabeth I. Yeah, yeah. So while England was sailing uncharted waters, France, another neighbor and rival to the Holy Roman Emperor, Empire, grappled with its own religious wars between the Catholics and the Huguenots. Fucking Huguenots. And over to the east, you got the Ottoman Empire. They're cutting back their maritime expansion after the Battle of Lepanto. But they remained a looming presence and a continual reminder of the religious and territorial struggles that defined the age. Russia began asserting its might under Ivan the Terrible, while Poland-Lithuania offered a model of religious tolerance and political decentralization, quite the opposite of the Holy Roman Empire's whole deal. So now that you understand the geopolitical stage that this play is set on... Medieval feudal shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's fighting and, the, oh, I, our borders wanted you, oh, you took away our... Our land, we want it back. There's We're fucking de jure claims and oh, fucking God. territories, success, lands of succession. Who's fucking who, you know? Oh, who's fucking who? Who's fucking who? I'll tell you. <laughs> We're going to talk about them now. Okay. We're going to talk about the Habsburgs. The Habsburgs. How'd they get Spain? Woo! We're keeping it in the family. <laughs> We're keeping it in the family. Oh my Me God! And my sister love each other more than life. Wow. We're keeping it in the family. Hey, we're keeping it in the family. Now I am your husband and your brother. You are my sister and my wife. Yeah, that's how they got Spain. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rudolph II was born into the illustrious Habsburg family, one of the most powerful royal dynasties in European and world history. The family's domains spanned across present-day Austria, Germany, Spain, and even parts of France and Italy. They stretched up to the Netherlands, too. They had domains in the Americas, all over the place. Their motto was, let others wage wars, but you, happy Austria, marry. Because they were, after all, known for their policy of dynastic marriages, a.k.a. Uh, keeping it in the family. Keeping it in the family. Yes. This would lead to a genetic condition known as the Habsburg jaw. Oh. <laughs> Chins to rival Mark Prophet, the great chinolingus himself. I'm, you know, and in addition to the physical side effects of inbreeding, many members of the clan suffered from unfortunate mental health problems, yeah. Rudolph II included. Yeah, yeah. Now, Rudolph had bouts of depression, but honestly, as we'll hear throughout the episode, his relatives have him beat in terms of out-crazying each other. This is a fucked okay. up family. Yeah, I don't doubt this it. This is, I'm sure, what a lot of what Game of Thrones is inspired by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that and, I mean, it's that medieval, medieval shit. That medieval shit. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps you've heard of Joanna of Castile. Perhaps. Yeah, Joanna the Mad. Well, she married Philip the Handsome, Duke of Burgundy. And when he died, she had a hard time with that. Yeah. Refused to part with his corpse. Oh, no. Traveled around with his coffin. No. Until eventually she was deemed unfit to rule. Yeah. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. She was just... At least she wasn't like weekend of burning Bernie's. No, but that being said, him. there's a lot of scholars that argue that maybe she wasn't as crazy as they said she was. Okay. Maybe she just had some mood disorders. Might have had schizophrenia. But 
it seemed like the men around her, notably her father Ferdinand, and later her son, Charles V, stood to gain something from her being declared incapable of ruling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, look, it's a toss-up. It's not a toss-up. Both things can be true. She was traveling around with a coffin. Yep. (laughs) Like, both things can be true. Yeah. (laughs) I'm no psychiatrist, but someone's traveling around with a stinky-ass coffin, their husband inside. I'm going to say maybe they're unfit to rule. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I need to re-say that sentence. Okay. The Habsburgs came from modest beginnings in 11th century Switzerland, where they initially held titles as counts in the region, meaning they had control of counties. Right. Eventually, they transformed from counts to emperors through the use of those strategic marriages, expanding their territories through these marriage alliances. One of their first key acquisitions was the Duchy of Austria, which they came to rule in the 13th century. Now, what's a, a duchy? Counts own counties. Duke's own duchies. Yep. We, we know the Duke of Earl. We've heard the song. Yeah. So they go from counts in Switzerland to dukes in Austria, but then how do they go from that to ascending the throne of the Holy Roman Empire? I don't know. Probably more fucking. You know, it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, the Holy Roman Empire is not a hereditary monarchy. Right. So you don't have to be born into it. In fact, each new emperor is elected by a group of prince electors. So once the Habsburgs gained more control over Austria, thanks to the vastness of their territories and influence and diplomatic skill, they maintained control over the Holy Roman throne for about 400 years. Whoa. All the way until the dissolution of the empire in 1806. Oh, wow. Pretty impressive reign. Oh, okay. So they just fucking banged their way into getting a bunch of prince electors. And just mm-hmm. got control That are all over. like distant family members and yeah. shit, right? Because everybody's a distant family member at this point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good job. Yeah. Yeah. So the first Habsburgs to become Holy Roman Emperor was Frederick III in 1452, while Francis II was the last. When the empire dissolved during the Napoleonic Wars in 1806, Francis II became Francis I. Mm. The first emperor of Austria now. And this happened because of something called the War of the Fifth Coalition, where the Austrian Empire was trying to recover territory that they had lost to France in previous wars. You know, mm-hmm. got to maintain those borders. Mm-hmm. I've played Cruise Kings. I Cruise Kings? It is. It's a different game. <laughs> is it? No. <laughs> I would play the shit out of that one. <laughs> now, despite early successes, uh, the Austrian forces were ultimately defeated, had to sign a treaty, 1809. Get wrecked. <laughs> so now Austria with Emperor Francis I at the head. It's not doing too hot because they had to cede back a ton of territory to France. Got to pay a bunch of indemnity. Yeah. And Germany's not really on their side anymore. Yeah. So what does Napoleon do? What's he do? He marries Francis's daughter. Okay. Yeah. Archduchess Marie Louise in 1810. Beating someone in a war and marrying their daughter. Boss yeah. Move. And it also kind of breaks that whole keeping it in the family thing. Yeah, yeah, Napoleon yeah. is like, whoa, he's this revolutionary self-made ruler just coming into, I don't know, it was, it was a shock to a lot of European royals at the time because the well, Habsburgs yeah. were one of the most prestigious royal families ever and then Napoleon's Napoleon. That's yeah. That's kind of his whole thing. Is is just say your shit's all stupid. I'm just gonna take it from you. Right. And also, you're not gonna fight me because I'm married to your daughter. Yeah. 
Good question. Alliance. Why are we in the 1800s now? Just because it's interesting? Yeah. Okay. Now we got to go back a couple centuries. Right. We're just talking about some famous Habsburg shit. Mm-hmm. You know, getting a feel for the family. They've been around the whole They've fucking They've been around. We got to go back to one of the most famous Habsburg rulers, Charles V. I figure, you know, we start at the end. Where did it all fall apart in the Napoleonic yeah, Wars? Yeah, yeah. And now, back to the middle. Charles V is... The, is that the Charles we talked about on our, our Jeffrey episode? Totally different Charles. This Charles is the son of Philip the Handsome and Joanna the Mad. Okay. And he became ruler of the Spanish Empire and the Holy Roman Emperor. Oh, Emperor. damn. And it's just too much. Yeah. It's just too much. So overwhelmed at, at all of this land, Charles V makes the decision to divide it up. Okay. And in 1556... He abdicated the Spanish throne in favor of his son, Philip II. Okay. Ceding control over Spain and its associated territories, which included the Spanish Netherlands. It's a fun thought. Hmm. Two yeah. years oh, yeah. later, yeah. <laughs> Two years later, in 1558, Charles V would relinquish his title as the Holy Roman Emperor, passing it on to his younger brother, Ferdinand I, because Charles, quite frankly, was old and depressed and wanted to go retire to a monastery. So this act, him abdicating his thrones to his uh, brother and his son, effectively split the Habsburg dynasty into two branches. The Spanish Habsburgs, beginning with Philip II, who focused on Spain and blah, blah, blah. And the Austrian Habsburgs, starting with Ferdinand I, who centered their power in Central Europe and, you know, would hold that title of Holy Roman Emperor for 400 years. Sure. Spanish Habsburgs, the... They fell apart in like 1700. Yeah, yeah. But the last Habsburg ruler ever was Charles I in Austria, who abdicated in 1918. He just couldn't do it. <laughs> Marking the official end of the dynasty's rule. Yeah, they, so at like towards the end of the First World War, he just goes, I'm out. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just teasing you guys. Because we're before we talk about Rudolph II, I'm going to have to tell you, how did the Habsburgs get into alchemy? What, what was the precedent for that? How? All right. You remember Charles V? We literally just talked about it. Yes. So. Well, thanks to the apparent discovery of America eight years prior to his birth, Charles got to enjoy the significant financial benefits of colonization of the Americas. Yes. Primarily through gold and silver mines. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the Spanish crown was levying taxes on colonists and indigenous populations. They had a trade monopoly. They were selling commercial and slave trading licenses. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. That really helped to make Spain a European superpower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. His brother Ferdinand in Austria. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more modest income over there. Derived primarily from the Chamber or Cameral estates. And over time, these estates were mortgaged leading to a decline in revenue and forcing the Austrian Habsburg rulers to turn to income from mines, monopolies, and indirect taxes, such as those on beverages. Direct taxes were another key source of income, but landowners often shifted the tax burden to the general population who didn't always want to pay up. Mm -hmm. The taxation level varied across provinces, and wars against the Ottoman Empire brought additional financial strains onto the local populace. You see, defense against the Turks and the Hungarian and Croatian regions was super expensive. During the 1570s and 1580s, around 2,200 soldiers were stationed in these areas, necessitating the expenses for their wages, fortress construction, firearms, 
Wars Food. expensive. War is wicked expensive. If I've learned anything from Cruise Kings, it's that being at war is expensive. Why do you keep calling it Cruise Kings? I just like to call it that. <laughs> okay. Because no, but really, when you go to war, if you're not clever about it, you're losing money every day. Well, and, yeah. And when it once it gets too dire, you're gonna have to sign a truce, and then you did all that for nothing. Yeah. I've played it. I've been there. Unless you're fucking Raytheon and just laughing your way to the bank. Right. Yeah. So you know those cheat codes. Cheat codes is just owning an arms company. Yeah. <laughs> now, the financial burden of defense against the Ottomans was pretty severe. Couldn't be supported by the Kingdom of Hungary alone. So it required contributions from the Austrian and Bohemian provinces and the Holy Roman Empire. Mm. People didn't like that. No. Revolts by peasants... It's it's not good. It's not. So, driven by a need for money, the Habsburgs start investing their money in alchemical experiments, beginning with Maximilian II, Rudolf's father. If, I mean, if they could just turn lead into gold, if their problems would be solved. Could. If they just could. So, that's why they start experimenting with alchemy. Is yeah, yeah, they yeah. Just, they, they need some fucking they cash, need some dog. Fucking money. I've, you know what? Like, I've been there. I understand. They got all this, the people are unhappy. It's like, my God, okay. I, oof. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you're all being patient because, you know, to learn about Rudy, we need to learn about his country, his ancestry, his, his parents. Come on. Yeah. Well, Maximilian II married his first cousin, Maria of Spain, in mm -hmm. 1458. Maria was the daughter of Emperor Charles V. So Joanna the Mad was grandmother to both Maximilian and Maria. Excellent. You gotta love it. Yeah. Same grandma. <laughs> yeah. But this was a dynastic alliance between the Austrian and the Spanish branch, right? Yeah. It's supposed to strengthen the ties between them. And it succeeded at that, but it also succeeded at, at something else. Oh, yeah? Strengthened some, something else. What, what's that? You know, those genetic diseases yeah. that can afflict families for generations? That's not going to come back and be a problem later, right? No. No, it's fine. Keeping it in the family. Get that Habsburg jaw going. Yeah. So Max, during his reign, yep. he was known for his attempts to achieve religious peace within the empire, even though the Catholics and the Protestants were going at it. He himself had Lutheran sympathies, and he liked to try to find the middle path, but he was formally Catholic throughout his life because his wife was very strictly Catholic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes just gotta. So, yeah, his his reign was pretty much marked by efforts to modernize the empire and make it more administratively efficient. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. It's boring, but it's a good thing to do. It's true. His religious policies weren't really well received, but, you know, he was focused on other things. He was also focused on being a patron of the arts and sciences. You know, he had a, a very magnificent court in Vienna. Mm. His own artists, musicians, scholars, so. He was a patron. He was a yeah. patron of the arts. You know, he set the precedent for his son who would become an even greater patron of the arts. And uh, like I said, driven by the desire to fill the family coffers, Max got into alchemy. They tried to turn sand into gold at one point. Mm. It didn't work. No. They probably wasted a lot of money doing this. And a lot of sand. Yes. But it did have some benefits. They learned some new metallurgical processes that they could use in their mining operations. Okay. And also, it kind of was a show of power. It 
you know, the, the effort to turn metals into gold, it's kind of like a, a performance in a way, symbolizing, mm. like, look what we can do. We're so fancy. Yeah, there is a psychological component to that, to have an alchemist and like these state secrets and shit. Right. Yeah. Even if you don't necessarily know what they are or what's going on or if it succeeded, to just know that there are alchemists visiting the court and doing experiments is like, ooh. Okay. Now that we know about the Habsburgs and the geopolitical stage that Rudolph was born onto, we can talk about the legend himself. Rudy. Rudy. Rudy can't fail, dog. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> Born on July 18th, 1552 in Vienna to Emperor Maximilian II and Maria of Spain, Rudolf was groomed from an early age for his future role. As the eldest son, he was brought up in a rigorous academic regimen that covered a number of subjects. Got Latin, Greek, theology, math, the natural sciences... But his education wasn't confined to books. He also got to ride some horses, which he loved doing. Oh. He learned how to fence and other martial skills considered essential for nobility. Mm. All this education, all this tutelage, only to then become a hermit. Gifted child syndrome in action. Well, you know, happens to the best of us. All her life, uh, Rudolph's mother, Maria, remained thoroughly Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> she kept early Spanish. She did. She kept in close contact with her brother Philip II. So, when Philip rang her up and was like, "Hey, sister, I'd like your sons to come over to Spain and complete their education here," she was like, "That sounds good to me." But Maximilian did not like that idea. Mm. In fact, every time they were about to go, he would have some reason why they couldn't, like postponing the departure. Yeah, yeah. Maria. However, insisted, hoping that any Protestant notions they might have acquired in Vienna would be erased in the strict Catholic court of Madrid. Yeah, get him a good Catholic education. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so, Rudolph II spent eight formative years from roughly ages 11 to 19 in the Spanish court of his maternal uncle, Philip II. Now, here's where I learned some crazy shit. Oh, yeah? Yes. In March 1564, Rudolf arrived in Spain accompanied by his younger brother Ernst, their court chamberlain Wolfgang von Rumpf, <laughs> and this guy Count Adam von Dietrichstein, sure. who was there for reasons we'll get to. Okay. <laughs> in Barcelona, the boys were met by their uncle, the grave black-clad Philip II, mm. who immediately took them high up into the mountains to the gloomy monastery of Montserrat. Oh my God. Which thou like to live deliciously. What? He's Black Philip. Oh, okay. Have you seen The Witch? No. Yeah, you should. Okay. They spent springtime at the monastery, then traveled to the summer palace of Aranjuez. Philip was ill with fever, but his younger sister and wife, presumably not oh. the same person, <laughs> okay, 
took good care of Rudolph and Ernst, taking them out for hunts. Now, in the evenings, Philip would invite the boys to his bedside to entertain him by dancing and fencing. That summer, they would travel to Madrid with Philip's son, their cousin, Don Carlos. Don Carlos. This is the crazy shit we gotta talk about. Okay, it involves a Don Carlos? Don Carlos was a disturbed little boy. (laughs) Deformed from birth. Okay. Hunchbacked and pigeon-breasted with shoulders of differing heights. Okay. His right leg was shorter than the left. Oh, he's all fucked up. Yeah, his mom died four days after pushing this little monster out. Oh my god. And even as a little boy, Don Carlos was difficult. He used to bite the breasts of his wet nurses. Oh my goodness. It's said that nearly three of them died. What? They. It's said that three of them nearly died. What? <laughs> <laughs> Babies don't even have teeth. Yeah, what the fuck? You're really okay. munching on them boobies. Wow. He finally started talking at the age of five, but it remained difficult to understand what he was saying because of his severe speech impediment and high girlish voice. Oh my goodness. You see, Don Carlos's parents were double first cousins. Oh. So due to the incestuous marriages of his immediate ancestors, that meant he only had four great grandparents instead of the usual eight. Oh. And two of those great-grandparents were sisters. One of them being Joanna the Mad. What? Yo. Yo, that's a clusterfuck. That's a... Wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Don Carlos. With his his mother dead and his father often out of the country, Don Carlos grew up lonely, shy, and angry. Mm. Hardly nine years old... He began torturing little girls, servants, and animals, even maiming the genitals of a dog. What the fuck? Yeah. Did you just toss him into the sea? What the fuck are you doing? Right. During his father's absence in the 1550s, when, uh, so Philip II, he fucked off to go marry a Queen Bloody Mary. Okay. It was not a happy marriage because he thought that she was smelly. He didn't like her. Okay. Thankfully, she just, she died in 1558. That wasn't a problem anymore. Sick. But when his father was gone, off with uh, Stinky Mary, there was a distinct regression in Don Carlos's behavior. Okay. He went out to the stable and fucked up the horses so badly that 20 of them had to be put down. What? Yeah. He just went out in the barn and, like, maimed the horses. What? Okay. That's a... There's big animals, dog. Yeah. He was also fond of uh, roasting small animals alive, especially rabbits. Once he bit off the head of a snake, mm-hmm. but he had hobbies other than torturing things. Okay. He also liked eating and drinking. Oh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is, man, just your your parents sending you off for the summer, like, go, go hang out with your cousin. Yeah, that's the cousin. Holy fuck. Yeah. Don Carlos's tutor admitted to Philip that, like, listen, man. I don't think there's anything I can do to make your son learn. I'm sorry that this is your heir, but like, this is not. I get why Maximilian was like, they're not going to fucking Spain, dude. Yeah. Spain's fucked. Right. (laughs) Now, the courtiers argued, oh, the Habsburg children are always late developers. Right. The years went by and still Don Carlos showed little interest in anything except food, wine, and torturing things. Jesus. In May 1556, some negotiations took place for a betrothal of Don Carlos and his cousin, the Archduchess Anna. Oh, poor. That's uh, 
Rudolph's sister. Okay. Another possible bride was Elizabeth of France, who was the same age as Don Carlos, but in 1560, Philip II decided to marry her himself. Uh, okay. Okay. Just, you know, while you're looking for brides for your son, hey, if Maybe your stinky find wife yourself, just died, right? you know? Hell. Oh. Okay. So Don Carlos is sent away to go to school, and it's 1562, two years after his father marries one of his would-be brides he falls down a staircase hell yeah probably while chasing after a servant's daughter that he was obsessed with Mm -hmm. the fall resulted in a severe head injury oh boy head swelled up um he lost he completely lost his vision okay whoa that's a big head hit yeah and despite various treatments um including drilling holes in his head oh yeah his condition worsened so his father Philip II resorted to prayer and quack remedies. Mm. It was only after a relic of the late holy Friar Diego was placed in bed with him that Don Carlos began to recover from his injuries. Oh. But even though he physically recovered, his, it's not like he was a new person after. Right. Uh, in fact, he kind of got worse. I, I can believe it. At first, he got really quiet and solemn, which was probably a welcomed change. Yeah, yeah. Then he began asking strange and meaningless questions. Okay. Then as as time passed, his behavior would grow increasingly unstable. Here are some of the things he did. Okay. Attempted to throw himself out a window. Oh, good. Attempted to throw other people out windows. Okay. Attempted to stab the Duke of Alba with a sword. Oh, my. And this is my favorite part. A shoemaker made him a pair of boots that he fucking hated. Oh. So what did he do? He made the shoemaker eat the boots. Made him eat the boots? Yeah, he cut them up and made him eat the boots. Jesus Christ. Like, my man, you're fucking crazy. Yeah, dude. You're losing it. He's he's completely gone. So, yeah. Flash to the spring of 1564, when Don Carlos's cousins, Rudolph and Ernst of Austria, arrive in Spain for their Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) This is, you know, this is two years after the whole staircase incident. Right, right. Yeah. And their father had sent along his representative, Count Adam von Dietrichstein, to accompany them. This was in an attempt to revive the plan for marriage between Don Carlos and the Archduchess Anna. Now, Maximilian, why? Why would you want your daughter to marry the man known for trying to stab people and bite heads off snakes? Honestly. I don't know. That's what he wanted, though. Power. Well. The dynasty. When Count Dietrichstein inquired about the marriage, <laughs> it got kind of quiet. I didn't really have any answers for him. And meanwhile, Rudolf and Ernst discovered that the Spanish court was kind of weird. Yeah. Philip II always dined alone. Okay. He did not want to eat with the queen or anyone else except on feast days when he had to. Right. Everybody seemed to keep to themselves. Oh, God. This is so creepy. Well... In August 1564, Don Carlos finally met his cousins, and together they traveled to Madrid in search of help for his ailments to make him a more suitable husband. Okay. Now, with the plan of a marriage to the Archduchess Anna in mind, Don Carlos underwent a variety of cures at the hands of physicians and apothecaries. Afterwards, I mean, God knows what happened or what they did to him, but (laughs) you can only guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Don Carlos hurries back to Count Dietrichstein and is like, I passed the test. I passed it five times over. But when Dietrichstein contacted the doctors, 
they were like, uh, yeah, our results were inconclusive. <laughs> and the ambassador wrote, it seemed very unlikely that the crown prince would ever have children and added the note, he's so mad and furious that everyone here pities the lot of women who will have to live with him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 Well, in December 1567, Philip II allowed his 22-year-old heir to preside over the state council. Good. But Don Carlos did a shit job of that. Yep. He tried to involve his illegitimate uncle, Don Juan, in a plot, but uh, Don Juan tattled on him. Okay. And it was around that same time that Don Carlos also told his confessor that he wanted to kill a man. And everything seemed to suggest that that man that he wanted to kill was his father, Philip II. Okay. Uh, so... Philip would have his son locked up in a tower. Well. From then on, it was forbidden to even make mention of Don Carlos or in conversation or in prayers. Don't even fucking pray for him. Wow. Yeah. Now, in confinement, Don Carlos started doing some weird stuff. Well, yeah. He would go on hunger strikes. They would force feed him soup. And he wouldn't eat food, but he just started swallowing random things in the room. Like, jewelry. Uh. he ate a diamond ring. Uh. And... When he was officially pronounced guilty for treason, uh, it was said that the penalty would be death. Yeah. Afterwards, Philip II kind of went and shut himself away. He's all depressed. Meanwhile, like Rudolph and Ernst are still in the court. Like yeah. they're doing their study and this is all going on around them. Jesus like their Christ. cousin that they knew and that they tried to help find a cure for. Yeah. Now, like all locked up and like. He's too fucked. Put him in the tower. Put him in the tower. Yeah. He also, uh, the other thing that Don Carlos did is he tried to get control over the Netherlands. Oh. He wanted Flanders for himself. You can't have Flanders for yourself. You can't have Flanders. Yeah. You can if you play Crusader Kings. Yeah. So Don's just confined in the tower. He's got a raging fever. He's vomiting everywhere. He keeps waffling in between starvation and then like binging and purging and like eating a lot and then starving. He poured a bunch of ice water all over the floor of his prison chamber. It would just roll around naked in the ice. Um, he had them drop off a bunch of snow in there for him, too. For days, he only ate fruit. And finally, he asked for a pastry, an enormous pie. He devoured the giant. Okay. Pie, and he drank 10 liters of water with the pie. And he became violently ill. Yeah. And they tried to give him his last sacrament, which he also vomited. <laughs> um, and then he was pronounced dead. Okay. <laughs> it's thought that he was poisoned slowly, but, yeah. you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Wow. What a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So you wonder why Rudolph would then become paranoid that his family might be trying to kill him for being wacky like he would develop mm. all of these paranoid delusions okay but like not without precedent because that's right, kind right. of the thing that happens in this family is you a lot of them are a bit fucking crazy yeah sometimes you gotta gotta put, put them in the tower faster. yeah off to the tower you go and so prince don carlos was dead and uh philip's young queen the 22 year old elizabeth of france she was grieving so badly over her stepson's death that Philip forbade her to weep. It Jesus. was thought by some people that Elizabeth might have been fucking Don Carlos, but I think no, that's pretty unlikely. That's, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. He seemed pretty unfuckable. He seemed pretty unfuckable. 
Everything you just said about this man suggests unfuckability. Yeah. Well, at the time of his death, she happened to be pregnant. The longed-for heir to replace Don Carlo. Mm. You know, finally, somebody to take on the mantle. Yeah, yeah. But Uh in early October, she fainted, bled all over the place, and gave birth prematurely. Well. Both mother and child died at once. Jesus. And so in 1570, Philip II married his niece, the Archduchess Anna. Oh my God. The one who was set to wed Don Carlos. (sighs) And thus... Keeping it in the family. Yeah. Woo! We're keeping it in the family. We're keeping it in the family. Me and my sister love each other more than life. So, Rudolph's sister has just married his uncle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and honestly, the Spanish court's pretty depressing. Yeah, it sounds... Pretty gloomy. It sounds fucked. Lonely, full of trauma. Finally, after... Philip gets uh, married again. Rudolph and Ernst are permitted to go back home to Vienna. They could not have been happier about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rudolph wrote, I was seized with such joy the following night that I could not bring sleep into my eyes. Yeah. So they go back to Vienna. Yay. Yay. And, oh, Rudolph's acting kind of weird now. Uh, well... Yeah, that's to be expected, he's, really. He's very formal, reserved, kind of aloof. Yeah. This is worrying to his dad, but it, it pleases his mom because he's acting like <laughs> he a, got a good, Catholic. He got a good Catholic education. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. <laughs> he Jesus really did. fucking Christ. Yeah, Max noted that <laughs> his sons had become afflicted with Spanish humors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fucking miserable. I know. He ordered them to change their bearing, but it was too late. Yeah. From this point on, Rudolph would remain a private individual, averse to travel, and just uninterested in the routine governance of the state. <laughs> Instead, he was captivated by the occult sciences such as astrology and alchemy. Yeah. Fields considered pretty mainstream at that time. Yeah, for sure. He also got really into horses and clocks. Salt tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, by this point, Maximilian was struggling with his duties as a king. He was ridden with various health issues, heart attacks, gout, probably syphilis. Everybody had syphilis. Yeah. In an effort to secure his son's succession, Maximilian arranged for Rudolf to be crowned King of Hungary and Bohemia in 1572. Mm. Also initiated plans for him to be crowned King of the Romans. Maximilian's health worsened during a trip to Regensburg, and despite pressure from his devout Catholic wife Maria and other family members to receive Catholic rites... He didn't. No. And he passed away. Well. Fuck him. He's in hell now. Get wrecked. (laughs) Two weeks later, the German electors named Rudolf as the new emperor, and he was officially crowned the 1st of November, 1576. Now, the transition of power was pretty smooth, because, you know, Max had more or less taken steps to ensure that his son was ready for the basics. Yeah. But, like we mentioned, Rudolf inherited an empire fraught with issues. Yeah. The internal religious tensions between Catholics and Protestants, they hadn't died down. In fact, it's only gotten worse. Meanwhile, the Ottoman Empire, still a huge threat. They're just pressing at the empire's southeastern borders. But when Rudolf became an emperor, his worst trouble wasn't with the Turks or the Protestants. 
It was his relatives who drove him up the fucking wall, telling him what he should do all the time. <sighs> he tried his best to rule, but his Spanish relatives were in his ear. They wanted him to somehow simultaneously uproot the heretics in the Czech and Hungarian kingdoms to fight the Protestant princes in, in the empire and also battle the Turks. How am I supposed to do all of this? How am I? I can't do all of that. Everyone's a fucking critic. Yeah. And despite his gifted intelligence... He suffered from dark moods that would continue to deepen after his crowning. You know, these were troubled times. Doesn't sound like being like wearing a crown is very fucking fun at all. Sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, Germany's really divided by the Protestants and Catholics, and he knows what his mother wants him to do. You know, he'd been raised in his uncle's Catholic court. Right. But yet, he had kind of inherited his father's stance on religion, which was, he's tolerant of him including Judaism, but that didn't mean he wanted to do anything to help them. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, during the whole counter-reformation, the Catholic Church is actively trying to counteract the spread of Protestantism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the Jesuits were a big part of that. They're establishing their schools and universities, trying to convert and reconvert regions that had been converted to Protestantism. Right, right. Well, when they show up at Rudolph's court, he's like... Mm, uh, I don't know. I don't know who to trust. So he just does nothing. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's kind of his MO, which contributes to political instability and yep. risks the ignition of a civil war. And um, you can't just do nothing. Yeah. He had kind of a, a do nothing, fear everything approach to governance. That's sort of the worst approach to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of reflected his internal struggles at the same time. Like, the way that he approached governance was also the way that he approached life. Right. And this all took place, mm, like, you got a bunch of natural and man-made disasters. You got Turkish invasions going on, outbreaks of plague, by the way, that's going on. Uh, Earthquakes in Vienna. So a bunch of shit is all tumultuous. And Rudolph, he has his first breakdown. 1577, he withdraws from public life. He loses a bunch of weight. Everybody's worried for him. Some people think that, like, is he dying? What's going on with the king? I know so many people like Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of them, too. I know. That's why I wanted to tell his story, because I was like, this he's just a guy. Yeah. He's just, I don't know what I would do if I was forced to be fucking king or queen. God, I I like to think I'd do better than that. Yeah. At this point in my life. But. Now, I don't believe that he was just apathetic to everything going on. I think he genuinely didn't know what the fuck to do. Right. And because he didn't know what to do and it was all so overwhelming, he wanted to just focus on the things that gave his depressing life meaning, which were yep. the occult, the arts. Yep. Because by modern standards, he had severe depression. Yep. Which makes it pretty hard to do basic day-to-day things like eat, bathe, sleep, socialize. Yep. So I have to imagine the day-to-day governance of a of a holy Roman Empire. That's pretty overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. You know? Let alone being like blamed or told that you have to do something about these huge disputes that are tearing the empire apart. Like, you know, I can forgive him for being disengaged. It's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
1583, Rudolf decides that he's going to move his court from Vienna over to Prague in Bohemia. Now, why does he do that? We'll get question. to that. Okay. But it's here that he turns to the study of astronomy and magic and like dives into it. Alchemy starts, too, yeah. Yep. Starts collecting objects for his Kunstkammer. What is a Kunstkammer? His art chamber. Okay. And throughout his reign, he invites over 50 alchemists to his to his castle. Yeah. Including John D. and Edward Kelly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who um, Edward Kelly once sold him a manuscript of what could have been complete nonsense. Likely. Like $100,000. I'm entirely sure it was complete yeah. fucking nonsense. That yeah. man was a Yep. <laughs> well, you want to hear something else that's crazy. Um, as soon as Rudolph II heard that Edward Kelly was this brilliant alchemist that could maybe turn things into gold, he yeah. was like, I got to get that guy. I got to get him. So he has Edward Kelly arrested for illegal dueling. Okay. On the grounds that he can capture him so that he can force him to make gold for him. Well, turns out that he's having trouble producing the gold. He had a lot of trouble doing yeah. that. Kelly tries to escape prison, ends up breaking his leg. That has to be amputated. Oh, my God. Tries to escape again. That fails. Finally, takes some poison to end his own life. And that's how Edward Kelly died. Jesus Christ. As a Christ. prisoner of Rudolph II, because he couldn't make couldn't make gold. Well, because I, I believe that, they, that John T. and Edward Kelly ended up in the court of Rudolph II because the fucking angels told him to go there around a fitting end for for a con man very much so yeah now one of the primary reasons for the move to prague was its strategic location it was situated in the kingdom of bohemia and prague was more centrally located than vienna making it a little bit easier to administer like the sprawling territories of the empire vienna is a little bit more off to the side yeah 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 a little bit more central also, it takes them further away from the Ottoman Empire, so the court's a little bit less vulnerable. Just in case shit goes down. Right. Yeah. Another reason is Prague's relative religious tolerance. You know, it's just, it's a kind of a refuge. It's a groovier place. It's just a groovier place. Yeah. 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 It provided a little bit more religious freedom and, you know, grounds to be a good patron. It's a place that will attract unique artists and thinkers of the time. It just... He liked the vibe. He did. He decided that's the place where I want to build my own little world of weirdos. I want to make my court a place where I never have to leave it and I can just be safe and happy there and look at all the shiny things that I like. <laughs> yep. 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 Did our boy ever get married, though? Did he? It's a, a good question. I... <laughs> well, he had plans to marry a Spanish princess named Isabella Clara Eugenia. Like, me too, bud, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah. That would have expanded his territory significantly across Europe, but Isabella grew tired of Rudolph's weird behavior and lack of confidence and married his brother instead. You know. <laughs> time's a flat circle, baby. Yeah. <laughs> now, much like Queen Elizabeth I of England at the time, Rudolph was one of those people who... uh he was considered a potential marriage partner in a lot of diplomatic talks, but never actually got married. He was kind of just dangled in front of people. Jeez. Uh -huh. In fact, there are claims that he might have been gay. Wow, <laughs> 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 
<laughs> okay. Fucking timing on that. Holy shit. <laughs> that got me good. Fruity, <laughs> fruity. Oh, Rudy. Wow. Yeah. During times when he would withdraw from his public life, it said that he was having an affair with his court chamberlain, that Von Rumpf guy. Oh, Von Rumpf. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, various other people. Sure. He's probably bisexual, actually, though. He uh, He's said to have had a succession of affairs with women, most notably his mistress, Katharina Strada. Hmm. Now, their eldest son, Don Julius Caesar de Austria, <coughs> was likely born between 1584 and 1586. Okay. In 1607, Rudolf sent his son Julius to go live in Bohemia and be the lord of Krumau. And uh, Julius, uh, he was doing some, some stuff over there. He was scaring people. Oh, yeah. The servants were quitting. Okay. Yeah. Julius took a concubine while he was over there, where he was while he was Lord of Krumau. Okay. This concubine was named Marushka. Marushka. And uh, within a few months of being together, Julius became so angry with her that he attacked her with a knife and threw her bleeding body from his window. Whoa. She landed in the castle pond. She survived. While recovering in her parents' home, Julius ordered her to return to him, but her father refused to let her go. So, he had her father thrown in prison and condemned to death. Jesus. Five weeks later, the girl returned, and Julius went fucking nuts. Oh, no. Started stabbing her. Oh, God. Cut off her ears. What the fuck? Gouged out one of her eyes. Jesus Christ. Smashed her teeth and split her skull and flung pieces of her around the room. After three hours, he finally recovered and uh, decided to call in one of his servants and say... Please wrap her up and take her away. And, um, yeah. He had the personal privilege of nailing down the lid of her coffin, too. Whoa. Yeah, well... That's horrifying. It's really horrifying. Yeah. Rudolph condemned his son's act. Okay. Didn't like this. Suggested, Good. um... Yeah, he's he's going in the tower. Uh, put him in the tower. Put him in the tower. What you gotta do... Sometimes you gotta put him in the tower. Yeah. Well, I guess they never had to, like murder him or sentence him to death or anything just left because, him in the tower yeah they left him in the tower and he kind of just refused to bathe and lived in squalor until eventually an ulcer ruptured okay and sent him to his grave all right goodbye don julius it's basically what they did with shokas horror too <laughs> <laughs> put him in yeah. the tower yeah sometimes you just gotta put him in the tower man yeah so now we're heading towards the end of his life because it's only three years after the death of his son that he dies okay i want to hear more about his like alchemy and magic and stuff you know i hate to say it I'm gonna have to listen to the bonus episode for more of that okay because that's where we're gonna get into the golem of Prague. okay and more of the magical mystical stuff that was happening at the time this is like the character study okay of rudolph gotcha so, over the years, he was a moody man. He would switch between um, being really engaged with everything that was going on. Yeah. And, like, really super interested. And then he would get really sad, paranoid, um, depressed, and angry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. While Rudolph would retreat from his public affairs, Wolfgang von Rumpf, his chief minister and longtime companion would start to attain almost total control over the empire. 
Okay. By 1599, Rudolph became convinced that Rumpf was up to shady things behind his back. You know, maybe conspiring to kill him or... Perhaps. Who knows? Well, he forced Rumpf to resign, but then later took him back. Okay. You know, swinging that that rump around. Yeah, you gotta... Sometimes you gotta bring the rump back. Yeah. Now, around Easter, Rudolph fired a lot of his servants, and he was just banishing people from court. Like... Yeah. It almost seems like holidays brought out even more paranoia in him. Okay. Um, Interesting. And then, after he banished a bunch of people... Kind of got a little bit more normal again for a little bit. He ends up fleeing Prague because he's scared of the plague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to go be somewhere else. So he goes and he stays for a year in isolation. And the typical pattern continues. Attacks of paranoia, weeks of calmness. Attacks of paranoia, weeks of calmness. Yeah, yeah. Then in June 1600, well, this is going back in time, just so we're clear about that. This is before his son does any of this shit. So after his year of isolation, he returns to Prague and he's even attending parties. Okay. He's going out on hunts. He's he's a, he's a man about town. He's a man about town. He's changed. Oh, n- no, no. He's he's hallucinating again. He thinks that somebody placed a curse on him. Oh, no. That people are trying to poison him. Attempts suicide repeatedly. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, couple different methods. He breaks a window, tries to use the glass to slit his throat. Another time, he tries to use the cords on the curtain. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was he was doing good, and then he's doing real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he dismisses Rump for good. Okay. From then on, after Rump is gone, pretty much the whole council completely paralyzed, because he's not accepting any decisions he like he doesn't want to make any decisions interesting no choices whatsoever don't come to me with anything so everything's held up because yeah you can't yeah make a choice but at the same time he was like giving a bunch of money to a bunch of weirdos and stuff yep yeah and like making the place groovier that he did yeah he did do that and during this period where he's not making any choices yeah nobody's making them for him yeah he just stops appearing in public, and he orders to have all of his galleries and walkways covered so that he can walk around the palace without being observed by anyone. He also starts taking his meals alone every day at the exact same time every day in the exact same room, all yeah. alone, just like his uncle Philip II of Spain had. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And of course, um, priests or prayers of any kind just irritated him. He did not want, like any sacrament or anything like don't come at me with that religious shit yeah yeah now as his health was deteriorating both mental and physical i have to say he was not a very healthy man in in spirit or body right he becomes more and more challenging to reach where is he he's in the kunstkammer Mm, the kunstkammer he's just in this big old chamber and he's got more than art in there by the way he's also got animals okay like he collects exotic animals okay and he's he's kind of like us i feel like we're we're collectors at heart yeah 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 like of information of stories perhaps maybe not so much physical objects anymore when i was younger i was i liked collecting i don't have like i don't collect anything specific but i like cool shit Mm -hmm. yeah he was a collector 
Yeah. And if he couldn't get an object that he wanted, he would commission to have a copy. Okay. So he gets over like 3,000 objects in his Kunstkammer. And they're divided into three categories. You got your naturalia, your natural history objects, your zoology, botany, mineralogy. He's got like rocks and crystals and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got his scientifica, the clocks, watches, globes. Yeah. Different technology instruments, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the artificalia. So like coins, prints, fine craftsmanship. Sure. Things like that. His prized items were um, the crystals that he would use to mm. calm down his anxiety. Wait, really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> He's just like us. No, not like me, dog. <laughs> like the collective us. I don't, I don't fuck with that. Uh, he's a crystal man. He's a crystal guy. He also loved his uh, his corals, his fossils, his whales. I mean, that's cool as shit. He claimed to own a grain of earth that um, God had made Adam. He also said that he owned two nails from Noah's Ark. Okay. That he had a basilisk and that he had some dragons. So this is that court. Yeah. Right? Like, like that's where that vibe comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that's been a cool fucking Kunstkammer, I'll tell you what. No, really. <laughs> but like, because he was so enthusiastic about collecting all sorts of crazy shit, it just made him like moths to a flame. And the moths were scam artists. Right. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Fl- like, you know, because he wants the rare manuscripts. He wants the cool shit from across the sea. He you can sell treasure. him a couple nails and tell him they're from Noah's Ark. You totally could. Yeah. God. <laughs> Now, as cool as the Kunstkammer was, it did not stay- Cool as a Kunstkammer. (laughs) (laughs) Still didn't stop the depression. It never does. Never does. Now, fearing a Protestant takeover takeover of England, thanks to Rudolph's ineffectiveness, Rudy's brother and heir, Matthias, met with his older brother and cousins in Vienna to cook up a scheme. Mm. Now- Rudolph and Matthias had always, like, he's, he'd always been jealous of his brother. Yeah, yeah. Always, like, a brotherly rivalry there. So, of course, I, I imagine it kind of stung when Matthias was named head of the House of Habsburg. Mm. They gave him the regency. Mm. Yeah. And they, they take a whole army with Matthias at the head, and they march up to the gates of Prague, and they force Rudolph to sign over Hungary, Moravia, Bohemia. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he does it, but he throws the pen on the floor after. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like, literally, that happens. <laughs> and they they let him keep, like, the imperial crown and the title. But it's, okay. it's just, like, a sh- to maintain a shred of dignity. It's like, right. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wasn't really doing anything. He wasn't really. Yeah. He really wasn't. So he retires to a castle in Prague, and he just lives a quiet life among his menagerie of exotic animals who start to die. Yeah. His favorite lion and two eagles, they die. And this really seems to mark the waning of his own vitality. Yeah. Yeah. He turns to alcohol, probably to numb his loneliness and discomfort. He comes to dropsy in December. Oh, he's got the dropsy. Got the dropsy. Also probably had syphilis, according to... The people who examined his body after mm. his death. And uh, yeah, he passes away from bad health. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, despite the, the setbacks that he faced towards the end of his life, the people of Prague mourned him. They called him 
the good lord. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, his reign was remembered as kind of a golden age of Prague. For that specific place. Yeah. That's really, yeah. For that specific place, he's remembered as like a really cool guy. Yeah. A terrible emperor, great mayor? <laughs> yeah. Like, so that to me is the complexity of Rudolph. Because, like, okay, the empire weakened under his watch, right? Yes. A lot of religious division, a lot of external threats on the rise. He does nothing about it. But what he does is he tries to construct his own idealized world within his court. Yeah. A place where liberties that are increasingly under siege at the time. Right, right. Like artistic freedom, intellectual freedom, spiritual freedom, like all of these things, they're allowed to exist within his court. Right. It's also a time... When, you know, the boundaries between science and art and the occult are really less distinct than they are now. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, while looking back on his reign, you might think, oh, he was just involved in a bunch of, like, nonsense. He wasted his time. Well, not really, because a lot of the people that he patronized were at the forefront of what would evolve into modern science. And art. And art. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. cultism. Yeah, I mean, there's just the fact that he was like cool with the Jews and the Catholics and the Protestants, like allowed ideas to mix and to mix with art and for an, a sort of alchemical synthesis right. to happen, you know? Um, the famous painting of like, it looks to be like the green man, but made out of like fruits and like corn and shit. Yep. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, Rudolph commissioned that. Yeah, that's a portrait of Rudolph II as Vertumnus, Vertumnus by Giuseppe Archimboldo. He was also known for commissioning a lot of erotic art. Yeah. Which kind of made him, like, salacious. Well, that's the thing. That's bohemian. When you talk about, like, someone's a bohemian. Right? That's where it comes from. It comes from the court of Rudolph II and, like, the vibe of Prague, of Bohemia, during his reign. All, you know, erotic art and fucking gadgets and alchemy and occultism and shit and like religious tolerance and perhaps even like sexual freedom to an extent. Like, yeah, like that's that is sort of what Rudolph did. Mm-hmm. If there's there's like one thing that he actually did, which was create bohemian as a slang term for that shit. Like we would call it bohemian now. Yeah. You know? Uh, but yeah, like in, and in, in Prague now, like there's these like house signs all around the city that represent the stages of alchemy and shit. Like, like it was, he was really into all that. And I mean, there was like a ton of, it wasn't just him too. Like there was a ton of alchemists in Prague. They, like a, a flood in, um, 2000, in the 2000s uncovered like this, uh, literally underground alchemist lab in the Jewish quarter that was like huge and shit. Yes, much, that's what yeah. we're... I want to talk about that on our bonus episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Jewish stuff. Because there's a lot of Jewish stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, it seems like he was a man outside of time. Exactly. You know? Because, like, the benefits of his reign were not immediately apparent in the geopolitical sphere of the time. Right. At the time, it seemed like, oh, what a failure. But looking back, we can see that, no, the things that he contributed to were actually really important. And he was fucking terrible at the 
the the tasks uh, that the time required that were in a couple hundred years on their fucking way out. Also, our boy had depression. Oh yeah, he was depressed as shit. He didn't ask to be an emperor either. No. He was just born into it. Yeah. Which is a lot of pressure. And that doesn't really like absolve him of being a total political and military failure, I guess. I mean, but like, it kind of does. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I would do as an emperor. I don't think I would do very well, honestly. Exactly. So um, like, what do you do when you are born into this role that you're supposed to play, but it's really not the one that you're good at? You do that, I guess. I, I mean, guess what what you try to do is to me I'm I'm looking over at the nine of coins the nine of pentacles. Oh yeah, that's his garden. That's his his Kunstkammer. Yeah. Yeah. He he. Yeah. That's the one place where he did have freedom because you know it's this woman. She's standing in the sky is golden. She's wearing golden robes, and she's in a garden. She has a bird, and she's a uh, she's abundant. She's comfortable. She is comfortable, but I, I, hmm. Okay. Okay. But this is not what Rudolph's like life was like. No, because Rudolph didn't get Rudolph's uh love of art ended at the um I don't want to just say the aesthetic part of it because he was also interested in in learning. Right. About this. But shit. it seems like he was a person that didn't like people. He didn't like people and he also didn't apply any of the occult or scientific knowledge he got to balancing his own checkbook mm-hmm. to uh, to making his court and garden an efficient engine that does things. Yeah. That, you know, like he spent a whole lot of time just doing nothing and then being really depressed. And I wonder if a lot of his mood swings were due to like feeling ineffective, not knowing what choice to make, just feeling paralyzed all the time. Well, that's I mean, so that's sort of the thing, right? Like you've got you. you he had all of the tools at his disposal to enjoy his life. But he also, he made the mistake that many uh, occultists, smart fucks, artists make, which is looking for this solution. Mm-hmm. You know, the elixir of life or the philosopher's stone or fucking, yep. or, you know, if I can get this solution, this will fix it all. Right. This will fix it all. Where it's... Nah. I need more things for my Kunstkammer. Right. When it's like, isn't it? You got 3,000 fucking objects. When is Right, right, enough? right. It's a, it's <laughs> about like if you have a love of clocks, like it's a, or it, to use an example, like maybe like think about the clocks and like how clocks work and like let that, the way that shit will transform your life is if you let it work on you as well and you find the, the, uh, the, the reason that bitch is so happy in the in the nine of discs. <laughs> that yeah. is because not only is her garden beautiful, but it provides what she needs. It's an efficient yeah. engine. That I also get this, the sense from her that she put in the work to make this happen. Exactly. Rudolph exactly. That's a big part of the nine of discs. Put in the work. Right. It was just there. He hired other people, and he didn't ever make any choices. Right. You sort of have to make, I, I, and I, you know, I think that because I like, I, I've been dealing with some pretty fucking heavy depression, like for like four fucking years now, <laughs> you know, it's like, let's see how fucking microdosing mushrooms works. I feel good today. So hell yeah. 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 Maybe you should, maybe you just should have eaten some fucking mushrooms. I uh, should have one of those fucking conquistadors bring back some, yes. some of that funny fungus from the new world, but they didn't. And that's why they suck. But you, you, 
I do think that in order to be satisfied in life, in order to not, a lot of my depression comes from feeling ineffectual and feeling like I'm not part of the world a mm-hmm. lot of times. And I think that it creates this fe- fucking feedback loop. It does. Where you don't do anything. And so you can't see your will worked within the world. You can't see that you are actually a part of the world where you, you need to actually right put yourself into the machinery of the world itself and let it work on you as you work on it instead what rudolph did is he tried to bring that to him exactly exactly not realizing like man it was all within you the whole time right well (laughs) you know it also reminds me of like in the bhagavad gita uh fucking arjuna and krishna where the whole the crux of that story is is Krishna is the charioteer for Arjuna and this big war between Arjuna and his uncle, um, this like apocalyptic fucking war. And Arjuna is like waffling back and forth, like in essentially in the middle of the field of battle, like mid charge. And he's like, I can't fucking do this. This is also terrible. Like, why are why are me and my uncle about to kill each other and all these fucking poor, innocent people like this is fucked. I can't do this. I can't do anything. And Arjuna basically says, like, look, you didn't choose where you were. You didn't choose how the world works. You didn't choose how, like, yeah, war is happening because it does. And if you think that, like, you have any bearing on that, like, you're Mm -hmm. fucked. Hey, look at me. I'm a god. And then he does the whole I am become death thing. You know, and he says, like, basically, like, Arjuna, you are where you are and you have to you have to be a part of the thing you are inherently a part of. Right. Now fucking fucking stand up, Arjuna, and do what you have to do. And Rudolph couldn't do that. No. He 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 didn't get that message that he actually had to stand up and fucking decide something. Right. Yeah. It's an, I, it, that's an important fucking lesson, I think. It really is. Yeah. It is. It's a cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the world is kind of terrible sometimes. Sure enough. Yeah, I guess but- it would be pretty awful to be asked to make decisions about shit that you really, like, don't care about and c- can't wrap your head around. Like, our king, what should we do about the the Protestants? It's like, man, I don't care. Right. It's like, okay. Well, it's, yo, so the, the Nine of Discs is about not the secret garden as a place to escape from the world, but as a place that cleanses and purifies your own thinking so that you may bring that peace and clarity to bear outside of the garden. That's, I think, what the Nine of Discs signifies. Right. It's like cleaning your fucking desk so you write better, which is a real thing. (laughs) It is. It's like cleaning your desk just to have a clean desk so you can say, look at my clean desk. Yeah. Yeah. Rudolph wanted to live in the world of the Nine of pentacles right but didn't realize that in order to get there you got to go through all the other parts of the tarot too when and he also <laughs> couldn't bring it down into malkuth as well right he was living in the sphere of of dreams in yasod mm-hmm. in pre-manifestation yeah and couldn't actually actualize it's like it. he lived his whole life dreaming like waiting for like i i want to discover something big i want to like but really nothing happened yeah it never does when you're like that yeah. But it's a tempting fucking place to be, though, mm-hmm. if you're a smart fuck. You get a lot of reward from learning things. Yeah, and, and you reading get things. a nice big collection that you can go in and look at. Distract yourself for a day until you go to sleep. Yeah. And do it again. Then do it and again. do it again and do it again. And yeah. then you don't have to actually engage. Until you have to throw your son in a tower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did make that decision. 
He did do that. That was the right call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put him in the tower. (laughs) When in doubt, put him in the tower. Yep. That brings us to the end. If you want to know more, though, and you're interested about this time period, we're going to be going back on our bonus episode. Hell yeah. You can get access to that at patreon.com slash the nonsense bazaar starting at just $5 a month. You get our bonus series, The Corkboard Bazaar. We're talking about golems too, right? Yep. Fuck yeah. And uh, get access to our Discord server. A lot of fun in there. A lot of fun in there. A lot of cool discussions. Uh, a lot Where of we hang out. really interesting cats. Oh yeah, I'm like so fucking done with like so much other social media. That Me too. Like, I'm basically just in Discord is where I do my, sh- my shit posting. Yeah, so if you want to come hang. Yeah, go to patreon.com slash nonsense bazaar. Only $5 a month. And it helps keep us sad free. Helps uh, Helps keep us sad free. Helps keep us sad free. The mushrooms don't buy themselves. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, take care of yourselves. We love you. Give, leave us a rating or review. Tell your friends. Tell your holy Roman emperor. Tell your lion and eagles. And the Jesuits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, peace, guys. Take care. <laughs>